Uh, but with that being said, and with that being said, and with that being said, with that being said, I'm really thankful I, I got that chance to go play at K State. With that being said, with that being said, thank you all. And with that being said, with that being said, I am. Hey guys, welcome to our five is one podcast. And with that being said, this is episode 12. And I think we got the best show uh, so far lined up this week. We have uh, the Renaissance man, uh, one of the most accomplished offensive line coaches as our guest on this week, coach Bob Wiley who has coached really at every single level, youth, college, professional. Uh, He and I have spent a lot of years on opposite sidelines, and so we're excited to have Coach Wiley on. And uh, Gerald, I think we've got to thank a couple of our sponsors before we get rolling here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's start this off with a thanks to Fix Sports. Um, Monument, Colorado, they have a facility that I I would say second to none. They they are – uh, a group of guys, if you're able to get in there, uh, work with them, they'll put you uh, not only through the ringer so you can be stronger, faster, all the, the good stuff like that, but they'll be able to help you out if you need any kind of treatments or anything like uh, anything to try to keep you on the field, keep you working and keeping you the best you can be. Uh, we also want to thank Zoa Energy Drinks, the official energy drink of the XFL and our podcast. And with that being said, so uh, love Zoa energy drinks, keeps us rolling uh, healthy way to uh, give us energy. Also when we're back in Texas, a special shout out to our boys over at Hoppins thing brewery voted the best brewery in Dallas, Fort Worth six years running by the Dallas morning news. Uh, so if you're in grapevine, the guys over at Hoppins thing do a great job. Uh, they're awesome. And uh, right next door, Vaquero's Texas Barbecue. Trey and the boys hook up the Arlington Renegade offensive line uh, family tradition since 1979. So thanks to Trey and the fellas over at uh, Vaquero's and Hoppin' Sting. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, Ray Crowther, thank you. Uh, tip of the spirit. We, we need all of the uh, help we can get with all the, the tools and things to be able to try to make these guys the best players we can be. Uh, they, they've given us, I don't know how many fun uh fun types of hand uh working tools and we're we're trying to use them trying to uh keep these guys entertained and uh be able to just get them to the next level and make them the best players they can possibly be at the end of the day we love the blast shields and uh our newest sponsor uh lineman performance academy clint anderson and lpa have sent us a bunch of new toys to work uh the guys out and uh so they help us build confidence through functional strength, and they've done uh, training with a ton of NFL offensive linemen. Uh, Creed Humphrey, Lane Johnson, uh, Clint Anderson does an incredible job with the five-strong training, and uh, we appreciate his sponsorship and uh, utilizing his equipment. So, uh, again, we're going to jump into an awesome episode with uh, the ultimate renaissance man, uh, not only a accomplished offensive line coach, uh, but a car collector, a pilot, a magician. I was going to say every piece of the game you could possibly have. The most interesting man in the world. It has to be. No doubt. So look forward to uh, this episode. Please jump on board. 
Uh, like the show, subscribe, follow, send us questions on the YouTube account. Um, and we appreciate the support. And with that being said. And and I, I grew up in a four by six mile town, very mill town. It's an old mill town, four by six, a textile mill town. They made textiles, all kinds of textile mills there. Okay. And so I went for a much local high school. Then uh, one of the coaches there got a head job at uh, another school, North Kingston. I went over there with him. I went to Cranston East. I ended up at LaSalle Academy. Okay. And uh, the next thing I know, they want to put me in administration. Okay. And I don't want to go to administration because if you went to administration, <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't coach football. I said, I'm not doing that. I said, I want to coach. They said, oh, so then they made an exception and said, okay, well, if you do, if you become an administrative director, then then you can, uh, you know, we're going to still let you coach. I said, okay, right? But what of that I know is that they spent money based on whether you were Republican and a Democrat and not what was in the best interest of the kids. That drove me completely bonkers, insane. Okay, so there was a guy that was the defensive coordinator at Harvard University. Guy's name was Chet O'Neill. God rest his soul, he passed since then. Okay, he came in my office one day because back then, you guys may be a little too young. Okay, it was all there was no recruiting services. You had to go turn over all the rocks yourself. Okay, you had to go to all the schools and find anything you could find. Okay, to try to recruit those kids. Okay, there was only 16 millimeter film. And the high schools didn't let it out. You had to sit there and watch it, right? So he would, right? You, I don't know if you remember some of this stuff, John. And so now that guy would come in to see me, and I would tell him, right? There's nobody over Coventry. Don't go to East Greenwich. There's a kid in North Kingston. Go over here and watch. You know, and I'd go and I'd put that guy in different spots where saved him a lot of legwork, right? So he comes in my office one day, and I'm like, he says, "What's what's the matter?" And I'm swearing and I'm throwing stuff around my office. What's the matter? I said, I hate this job. I hate it. He goes, you want to try coaching in college? You know how many guys tell you that and then you never hear from them again? Yeah. You, you've heard that a lot in your career. Hey, you like try coaching in pro football and then you never see them again. Okay. You know, that, so the, uh, I said, yeah. Okay. He said, oh, I think Brown University is going to have a spot open in the spring. I said, oh, okay. All of a sudden, it come around April, I get a phone call from the head coach at Brown University. And he said, I got your name from Chet O'Neill. He said, would you come down and so we could talk? I said, sure, I would love to do that. So I told my secretary, I said, Florence, cancel anything I got today. I ain't going to be here. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Right? <laughs> so, I, so I go down, okay, and I meet with the guy. And at the end of the day, he offers me a job. It's a part-time job. It only pays $4,000 a year back then. Maybe six at that. Something between four and six. So I so I come home and I'm saying, okay, what am I going to do? So I call my dad. I say, hey, can I have lunch with you? He says, what's your problem? I said, I need to talk to you. He said, look, I want to go coach football. He said, but the job only pays $6,000, same as six, right? And he said, you know, I got a wife, I got a new baby, I got a house, I got a car. I said, how am I going to make this all work? And he looked at me and he goes, what's your problem? <laughs> I said, I just told you my problem. He says, you want to go coach? Go coach. If it doesn't work right. out, it doesn't work out. 
You know, he raised me like, don't be afraid to fail. Go. If it doesn't work out, it just doesn't work out. Don't do something else. Right? And, and, you know, back then, and back then, it was a point in my life, guys, that I, I was I was flying corporate jets, okay? I was playing the drums in the band, okay? And I was coaching football, all right? And he was teaching, and, and I was in the school administrator, okay? And I don't like the administration, but the other stuff was good. I was Wait, Wiles, you were flying jets? and yeah. And you were a drummer? Yeah, <laughs> this is the best story I've ever you, heard. You are a man of many talents because I've spent right. some time with you when we were out together. And not only that, you're an accomplished <laughs> magician, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know just enough to be dangerous. I've been on stage, <laughs> I've been on stage twice with David Copperfield. That was really interesting for me. He made me disappear. I think a lot of people like to make me disappear. <laughs> but he, he made me disappear. I was on stage with these like 12 other people, and they put you on this platform, right? And and then they give you these and they give you these flashlights and you sit in these chairs and there's two levels, six on one, six on the next level. Okay. And then they put the back up, then they put the sides up, and then they put the front up and make like a box. Okay. And you're still waving, okay. And then they pick it up so you can see underneath it. There's nothing underneath it, okay? Right? And all of a sudden, everything goes black, but the lights are still on. I don't know how they did that. And the guy opens the back curtain and says, follow us, right? Follow me. So we're walking through the back to this packed maze. It's called pitch black, right? And then we end up in this little conference area. Okay, and all the guys that were there, guys and girls, right? And then after, the, and we were the last act, okay? And, right, because they wouldn't let you leave until the theater cleared out and then the parking lot cleared out. Then they let you go. So David Copperfield comes in and he introduces himself. You know what I mean? And so I give him my business card and I said, Hi, I'm Bob Wiley. I'm the offensive line coach for Chicago. He said, I'm a Bears fan. I, mean, I, said, I said, I'm also an amateur magician. <coughs> Excuse me. And he goes, Really? So, what do you like? I said, I like card tricks. Right? I did all, I got a lot of other things, but I like card tricks. And so, he taught me this card trick, okay? Twin brothers that married the twin sisters. It was really a neat deal, okay? And so, the next year I go back and I'm sitting in the audience and he comes down early and he's walking through the stand, audience, excuse me. And he looks at me and he goes, Coach. He said, Yeah, yeah, go up on stage. So that was twice I was up on stage with David Copperfield. <laughs> I, honest to God, Jonathan, right, was like a little kid. You know how you go to work, and you've been there, you've been in big bowl games and big championship games where there's thousands and thousands of people in the stand, that doesn't bother you. Honest to God, I was like a little kid. There's like 8,000 people in the auditorium, and I'm looking all over them. <laughs> Is that the most nervous you've ever been? Probably, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've coached in championship games. You've coached some of the best offensive lines ever. And you're on stage with David Copperfield. And that <laughs> is the biggest – that's the biggest nerves you've ever had? Yeah, that's one of them. Uh, <laughs> when I first started to play the drums and we went out to play and you get into your first club gig, that was kind of – I said, I don't want to mess this one up. You don't want to be off beat on this deal. You know, <laughs> Because we had an eight-piece brass band. We had a saxophone player, a trombone player, a trumpet player. Okay? Matter of fact, the trumpet player went on to, to be the second trumpet for Doc Severinsen. Okay? And we had a bass guitar. We had a lead guitar. 
We had a singer, okay, and we had a guy that played the big Hammond B3 organ, okay? And then I was a drummer, right? And we had this little group of guys that would set everything up for us. So all I needed to do was just get there, okay? And I was always a little bit on a riser, a little bit higher than the rest of the guys. As, as you start playing the clubs, you'd be surprised. Right? Everybody looks at the grubber. It's amazing. Everybody's looking at the grubber. So I did that. I did that for as long as I coached in the New England area. Because I coached through high school. Okay, then I coached at Brown University. And then I coached at Holy Cross College. So I could fly to the games myself and then fly back and still get to the club. Okay, I could do that in the college gigs. But then when I moved out of state, I couldn't play anymore. I was, you know, I was in Ohio, so I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. But that was a fun time in my life. I got my pilot's license, okay, when I was a senior in high school. Wow. And, and I would get the dates with the prettiest girls in the senior class. And my buddies go, how'd you get a date with her? I say, number one, I'm better looking than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> number two, I'm a better athlete than you guys. And number three, okay, she's getting that airplane over there, and she's going to go over to Mata's Vineyard, and we're going to go down to Eggerstown, right? We're going to go over to the Navigator, and she can have lobster, crab, shrimp. She got anything she wants. You guys are taking Susie Q to Joe's Bar and Grill for a cheeseburger. <laughs> I am so far ahead of you guys. And it just stayed like that. Right. And then I kept getting bigger and faster and bigger and faster. You know, flying's like anything else. It's never just enough for me. You coach a pop on a football, right? I end up spending, I don't know, 30 years as a poor plus as a poor football coach. Okay. Right? I started a pot fun football. I started to play the drums. I had a three-piece little drum set my dad bought me when the Beatles first came out, back in whatever that was, 61, 63, whatever that, that was. Right? I ended up playing an eight-piece brass band. Okay, yeah, you know, I, I started off doing simple magic tricks. I'm on stage twice with David Copperfield. You know, I started flying 150 Cessnas, right? And today I own a Citation. See, I, 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 own a, I fly a Citation, okay? So it, it, it's, ju it's just never, it, it's just never good enough, okay? You got to get better. You got to do something better. There's got to be something better with it. Okay. Wow, you you are a true you're a true Renaissance man. I mean, there uh, there is to no ends that you will continue to uh, surprise me. I thought I knew everything about you. I'm finding out so much more that, about that, what you've done, where you've been, and and shoot, I know you're not done. You know, it, it, you know my my mom told me my mom passed. She had 96, and she told me one time. She says. Right. She says, you still have a locker. <laughs> I said, yeah, I try to keep it as long as I can. You know what That's I mean? Right. So sometimes you get different lockers in different places. You still want to have a locker. Right? Well, you, you, and, you and I have had a lot of different lockers. lockers around our, right. <laughs> we've had a lot of different stops, a lot of different uniforms and a lot of different uh, coaching gear. And, and, uh, and I, I never I never started this. I never started it with the ambition that I was going to be a professional football coach. At that, and, and it wasn't the money. It, I did not start coaching for the money. You know, the, the money if, in the International Football League comes later on, okay? 
when you get to that level. It comes later on, okay? But when you first start, it was the passion and the love that you have for the game and, 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 the, and that you have to teach the kids, okay? You know, teach them. Don't tell them. That was a big Paul Brown thing. Teach them. Don't tell them. Okay, that's a big thing in my, my little brain, okay? And so that, that's how it, it happened. You know, my first paycheck, when I first got a paycheck, okay, to coach football, okay, I made 22 cents an hour for the number of hours that I put in the coach junior high school football, okay? <laughs> so it, it, it was not the money, guys. <laughs> that, that sounds like I think I remember when I was a graduate assistant, I think I broke down the amount of hours and what you paid. I, I, it was it was probably somewhere around that. I, I think yeah. I blanked out the actual amount, but no, you don't get into football to to get rich. You get in because you love the game. You're a teacher, and you you want to see your players be successful with what you're mm -hmm. teaching them. And if they can apply that on the field, and if they can use the language that you use in your meeting room, then you know you're getting it across to your players. And you and I have talked about this a lot. Just yes. in, in using similar language. And when they say the things that you say in the meeting rooms and when they can install a play and when uh, they're able to communicate on the field. And a lot of times that communication is nonverbal when those guys are communicating on the line of scrimmage. And uh, whilst you, you've been not only, I mean, you talked about your early years, but then once you got into college, what you were at Ohio, and then what? You came out this way. You were in Colorado, spent some time at Colorado State, correct? Yes, I was in Colorado State. I, I had the, the very uh, unique distinction that I got to work for Earl Bruce. Okay. Mm. You know what I mean? So I got Earl Bruce stories. Okay. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, I'm sure all you guys out there, you know who Skip Holtz is. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Earl and, and Lou Holtz coached on the same staff with Woody. Okay, so they that goes way back, and and then Earl followed Woody at Ohio State. Okay, so there's a connection there. So Skip's on our staff. Well, Skip's in charge of the video guys, right? And the video guys, okay, some of them are medicals. They got knees or a shoulder, and they they can't practice or they can't play. You know what I mean? So they help the video department out. Okay, Skip's in charge of all that. So we scrimmage in the stadium. So back then, okay, we all got in the same room to watch the scrimmage. And Coach Bruce has got the clicker, okay? And the staff, the staff was a pretty good staff, okay? We had Timmy Salem was on that staff, Joe Salem's kid. He ended up being a coordinator at Ohio State. Vance Bedford was on that staff. He ended up coaching with me at the Bears, and he, he was a secondary coach at Michigan for a number of years. Steve Zabo was on that staff. Okay, Steve was a he coached at Ohio State, Michigan, Syracuse, Boston College, was in the NFL at Jacksonville in, in uh, New England. Uh, got a couple of Super Bowl rings from New England and Buffalo. He was on that staff. Skip Holtz was on that staff. Loose kid became the coordinator at Notre Dame and then was head coach of Connecticut and LA Tech. And so now he's in the USFL doing you work for Skip, okay. Right, so he he was on that staff. Well, anyway, Skip's in charge of the video guys. Right, we scrimmage in the stadium. We got together. We're meeting, and there's a script. The play's on the script, and it's not on the video. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> it's like an atomic explosion takes place. Earl yeah. slams the table. He starts yelling at Skip. Skip, I don't care who your old man is. I, you hear me, Skip? I don't, you're going to be cutting me at Albertson's Colts. You understand me? But you're going to straighten stuff out, right? Oh, my God. Right, And I take all my cues from Steve Zabo because Steve Zabo worked with Earl at Iowa State. He worked with Earl at Ohio State. He worked with Earl at Northern Iowa. You know what I mean? So I'm, listen, Steve, give me the cue. He tell me shut up. I shut up. I don't, wouldn't say anything, right? Right. So anyway, a few more plays go by. Here's the play. It's on the script. It's not on the screen. He takes a coffee cup and he throws it at Skip. Now there's coffee all over the place, right? Ceramic pots to the coffee cup are all over the place, right? It's oh my god. I used to meet. He didn't want you to meet with the offensive line, but right? you only had you only could meet with him in the morning, like for a half hour. That the only time you had with them. So, oh my God, how are you going to coach the offensive line and do this? So I made a deal with the kids. Look, I'll bring the donuts in. Okay. Right. You guys bring the chocolate milk, coffee, hot chocolate, whatever you guys want. Right. So I go to the donut place. I get four dozen of donuts. Probably we go now, but back then it didn't matter. Okay. <clears throat> so we would start at six o'clock in the morning and then we would go for an hour plus. Until we hear Earl coming, and we shut the doors, and Earl would walk by the meeting rooms, and then we open the doors back up again. We continue the meetings, okay? So one morning I come in, and the lights are on in the practice area. I said, who the hell is this in the practice area? So I stick my head, and I look, and there's Earl. Earl's dressed up in his coaching stuff. He's got his pants on, his game stuff. He's got his sweatshirt on. He's got his hat on. Right, he's got the whistle and he's running the video guys on gases <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> they're doing push ups, he's doing push ups <laughs> and sit ups, and they're running back across the pit. I am crying. I said, God, this tears coming out of my eye. I'm laughing so hard. Right? No, no one that, uh, is exempt, no one is exempt, right? Even the video yeah, guys, right. It doesn't matter. Not at all. But <laughs> that just made me think about uh, the hard knocks. That that, that kind of made me think about your hard knocks experience. What what was that like? Since the video guys, <laughs> that that that, that kind of transitioned in my head for uh, for you out with uh, the Browns. You guys had the, the hard the knocks. Hard knock, in your what face. you got to understand about about the hard knocks stuff? Okay, is they come in in the off season and they wire the whole building with different cameras and they. Set the cameras so you can't – you know they're there, but they're not visible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're, they're, it's like security. They're almost they're like security cameras. But they're all over the building, okay? And some of those plastic grids that you put in the ceiling that you think are letting the air through and stuff, right, those are really full of microphones, okay? And every morning you come in, okay, there'd be a, a list on your desk of who they want to mic up. Okay, so so many coaches would get mic'd up every day, right? And then we had to make up a special sign language, okay? So if you had a mic on, okay, <laughs> and if somebody walked into you and he's going to ask you something about a player, and you don't want you don't want to say, "Hey, that son of a bitch can't play; he's awful." You don't want that film, right? So you have to go like this, you know, to tell him, "Hey, I'm mic'd up. Just watch what you say, okay? Just 
keep it nice and generic, friendly, all that kind of stuff. So we had our little own sign language that we used, okay? And then they got me, okay? And and I wasn't, that's just me, that what you saw there was me. I wasn't making shit up or nothing like that, okay? I, it was just me. You know, during stretch, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather watch a plant grow than stretch. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't, they don't, they, you know, I have a saying, do the right things. They say, do the right things, guys. Make them do the right things. No, it's not that. It's do the right things right. Do the right things right. No, stretching for some of them may be the right thing to do. Most coaches, right? Stretching. But are they doing it right? Or are they laying on the ground, looking at the cloud formation, trying to determine whether that's an elephant or is that a rabbit? Okay. Hey, I forgot, right? That's what happens. Okay, so you know I, that stuff drives me crazy. If they're going to stretch, make sure they're all doing it right. Okay, you know that that, that was Earl Bruce deal. You you were doing it right, Earl. All right, so that that was how it got started with the stretching thing. And then I said, you know, in, in my little brain, when do you start stretching? You guys all coach football for a long time. Kids that are eight, nine, ten years old, they don't need to stretch. No, they're the last people on the planet that need to stretch. But you get these pop water coaches, okay, and they got them in these lines and they're stretching. So what are you guys doing? Right? Up until that point in their lives, those kids never stretched. They played basketball, they played baseball, right? They ran around the neighborhood, they ride bikes, they climb trees. They didn't stretch. Now they're in an organized environment, okay, so now they're supposed to stretch. I said, you guys are all nuts, okay? So, I'm seriously, think about that. And I said, so I came up with, and I think the greatest generation were the kids that were born in the 20s, the early 20s. I really think Tom Brockwell wrote that book. I read it a couple of times, okay? That was the greatest generation that this planet has ever produced, okay? What those guys did in World War II was unbelievable. Okay, those 16, I mean, 18, 19, 20, 20-year-old kids, what they did was remarkable. Okay, right? But I'll tell you, you know, they're coming across, right? They're coming across the English Channel, and they're going to land at Normandy, okay, in Juneau, in Utah, right, in all the beaches, okay? You think that they were worried about actually stretching? And back then, there was no fancy stretching. What did they do? They did calisthenics. They did jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups. They climbed the rope and they ran. That's the whole calisthenics that they did. There was no funny. There was no fancy rubber bands and stretch this and stretch that. Those guys didn't do that. Right now, you're in a landing craft, right? And you hear the bullets are bouncing off the sides in the front of the craft. And they're going to put that door down any second. That gate, you think you're worried about stretching? You think that's going through your mind at that point in time? Or do you think I'm going to get across the speech as friggin' as fast as I can so I don't get shot and killed? Okay, I got to get off the speech as fast as I can. Okay, so I went with that ranting and raving about stretching. You're going to kill me. Those guys won two world wars and they didn't stretch. <laughs> two world wars. That's right? it. They did not stretch. Stretch, 
right? Now you're going to go play a football game, right? Everybody stretches. The doctors, the trainers, the, the guys, <laughs> the officials, everybody's stretching. They got to stretch to go play a game, right? It's yeah. crazy. Wow. Wiles, when we when we played you this past year, so in the XFL this year, we had the opening game together, um, the Arlington Renegades and the Las Vegas Vipers. And uh, pregame, I didn't see you out there stretching and running and doing your calisthenics. I missed you pregame. Yeah, you're right. I was stretching. They were stretching. I was putting them. I, you're, you're not going to see me in the stretch lines. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Now, you may see me warming them up, but you're not going to see me in the stretch. Uh-uh. <laughs> hey, hey, real quick, talking about the video. So we talked about, you know, how, what it's like, the high standards that you set with the uh, when you were at Colorado State with uh, Earl Bruce and then having the insight with Hard Knocks. I mean, you've been around a whole lot of different styles of coaching. And now in the XFL, one of the things that you and I talked a lot about was the utilization of the technology and kind of give us your insight because in our league, it's very different in the XFL. We're getting live video, sideline, end zone. We can sit there and watch the plays really as they happen or right afterwards. So kind of give some insight to that. Well, what happens is is, is you get – you get – people don't think out of the box, okay? You want to be because, well, we, why are you doing this way? Because that's the way we've always done it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, offensive line coaches are always stood up on the sideline and you try to look into the back of the defense or look to the side of the defense that's closest to you, okay, so you can see what's going on. And a guy upstairs looks at the point on the other side. And, and so you get to all that stuff, okay? They have – and you know, on, on your surface, on the sideline – you can watch the whole game live from the end zone. The whole game from start to finish live. You can play it forward and backwards. You can record it. You can cut it. Right? Show it to them to get off the field. You can make notes, okay, okay, on what's going wrong out there. Right? And you never have to stand up. You can sit on the bench with a table with the, with the, with the video, okay, and you could take notes until they came off the field and sat down and you'd have it all ready for. Okay? I thought that was one of the most incredible teaching tools that I've been able to utilize in the XFL this past year. And we were able to use it in the USFL. But while high schools are using it, like I have been able to coach and be around my boys in high school and they have huddle film. And right when we get to the sideline, we're able to sit there and watch the plays and rewind. And it's amazing the teaching, but it's not happening at the college level and it's not happening. It's not happening in the NFL level. And uh, Hamilton high school in, in Chandler, Arizona, mm-hmm. they're one of the top 10 high schools in the country year after year. Okay. They have this piece of equipment that they roll out, you know, those travel cases, right? And it's a gigantic screen, 75 inch screen. Something wrapped number. Okay. And the kids sit on the bench and the coach sits on the bench with the kids, and they play the last series back and forth. It's an incredible okay. teaching tool. It's and incredible. It's amazing. Okay? And, and they can see what they just did. They can see what the defense is doing to them. It, it's really incredible. You're right. The teaching tool is unbelievable. And, they'll, and in the NFL, 
we got still shots. You can get four, you can get two, you can get one, you get what? But, but they're still still shots. Okay, you get something, but you don't get as much as you get with the way that surface is designed to do. That is really impressive. I mean, that's impressive. Now, is that going to filter around? Who knows? You know, everybody wants their own niche on how the league should be. You know, you know we play, we don't have that. We just do it the old-fashioned way. We're different. No, no. Do it the best way that you can teach those guys to put them in the best position you can get them in, right, so they can get the job done. Period. It's not rocket science. Right? That you, is it. You, I mean, I was amazed when I first saw it. I said, well, why the hell do you want to stand up? You know, why do you why do you want to go, but you're afraid to go sit on the bench because that's not what you do. <laughs> right? You're you're afraid to go sit down on the bench because you're going to be different than you. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> not that's at my it. age. It doesn't matter hey, to me. No, and that's that's one of the things like you've always been on the forefront and trying to be a great teacher and you've been around some of the greatest coaches and greatest teams. And, and you've had a perspective from the college game, from the pro game you've coached, you and I have done a lot of back and forth from North of the border coaching in Canada in the CFL uh, back down South. You've been in the NFL. I've coached in the Alliance of American football. I've been in the USFL. You and I have both done the XFL. Like you've seen it a lot of different ways. And like you've been around some of the best teachers. And I wanted to transition and talk about the cool clinic because it's all about the family of offensive line coaches who are open to talk about the game, maybe more so than other positions. Offensive coordinators may not want their secrets out. Defensive coaches, they're all communist anyway, so it's like they, they don't want to tell anybody anything. But, Wiles, give us a little insight on the Cool Clinic, just a quick 40,000-foot view of where it was, where it started, and how it's transitioned now in this day and age, in the digital age. We, we have that clinic, Jonathan, and we've been doing it since 1982. Okay? It's been around a long time. Okay? And it started – in, in Jim McNally's office at the Bengals, used to be the old Bengal Spinney Field. It was an old army hut. With old Quonset army hut was there. That was their offices. And it was under the 8th Street Viaduct, right, uh, in, in Cincinnati. That's where it was. Okay, so Jimmy, he, he, he calls myself, he calls Paul Alexander and Jimmy, and it was a guy named Fred Mariani, and it was Jay Callum, Jake was a line coach of Kentucky for a number of years, and it became a scout with the Brown. He says pass. Okay, and there was there was a sixth guy there, and none of us can remember who the sixth guy was. Okay, so that's the guy. So anyway, I, so I hope he, he finds this video. He's like, I'm the sixth guy. I can't believe they forget about me. He's been telling this story to everybody else. <laughs> so we we go to Jimmy's office and we just meet and talk about football, like we're doing. You know, we. I put something up on the wall. How do you block this? What technique are you going to use to pick this thing up? How do you handle in this situation? You know what I mean? And we would just be sharing ideas. Okay, well, the next year, six turned to like 20. Okay? So now we had to go into the team meeting room. And then the following year, it went to like 38 or 40. It was, it was getting out of hand. And Mike Brown, okay, and Paul Brown, and 
right? They thought that we were giving away all the Bengal secrets. Okay, so then we had to take it and we moved it to the Clarion Hotel in downtown Cincinnati. Okay, and it stayed there until Jimmy left and he went to work for the Panthers. Okay, and then I took it. I had a, I got a job with Tampa Bay, so I took it to Tampa. Okay, and we had it in Tampa for one year. Right, and then the coaches were getting arrested in the strip clubs for disorderly conduct. Okay, <laughs> so so I get I get calls from the police chief and said, "Coach, he said you, you got to come down here and get these guys." And I said, "Okay, all right." So I go bail a few of them out. Okay, and the next morning I get on stage Saturday morning, Jonathan Bennett. Right, the next morning I get on stage. I said, "Okay, that's it, guys. We ain't coming back here anymore. We're going back to Cincinnati." And it's been in Cincinnati all the rest of the time, right? At that same hotel, and the hotels changed names. Was the Clarion? Was the Four Points Sheraton? And we came to Millennium, and now it's not there. It doesn't exist anymore. They knocked it down. Okay. And then when COVID struck, I had to go. I had to go virtual with. It, okay. And because we we didn't know what was going to happen, and it was tough for the. The college guys and the pro guys, you know, they didn't want to come and speak. Well, it's right it's tough there. these days. Like you look at what's happening in college football wise. I mean, those guys during I know you had to adjust the schedule even this year because a lot of those college guys have transfers and official visits and kids coming in in May. And the college yeah. game is nonstop personnel evaluation and recruiting and and so you you kind of have to live in that virtual world doing the clinic that way. The uh, when I found out doing it that way, Jonathan. Okay, and and, and this is what we were just sharing ideas. And, and the thing about it, it's the only one like it on the planet. In the COVID year, okay, we got over nine hundred line coaches. Okay, from twenty some odd different countries, you know, from Ireland and Germany and South Africa and Brazil and Japan. I mean, it was crazy. The guys that got on to listen. Okay, and it's still that same way. But we find that we can get the young junior high school coaches, the young Pop Warner coaches. We can get the small college guys. We can get – because not everybody has got the money that Ohio State has or Texas or Alabama or USC, you know, or those kind of guys, you know, that they get an airplane, go to the clinic and spend three days there. And the guys can't do that anymore, okay? So doing it the way we're doing it, we find out that we attract more people. And then it's easier for me that I can adjust, like now on Thursday nights, which we never had before, because of the mini camps. They're moving the mini camps around so much, but they don't do it on Thursday nights. So I put all the pro guys on Thursday nights. Okay. Right. All right. And then, and then every year I, I, I get the national championship guy, I get the Grey Cup guy, and I get the Super Bowl guy. I get the three guys that are on the top of their profession on the planet. Okay, and it's the only one like it on the planet. Nobody else has idea that comes next to it. Oh, okay? it's it's and, awesome. It's awesome and, to hear like how everybody teaches. They've got different, and you just kind of give them free reign to talk about what they're comfortable. And it's everything from philosophy to technique to scheme to you know teaching. And I think that's one of the things that you love. It's just it's it's a grab bag of everything that's important in the O line world, which right. is. You don't- if it's half the offense. Point, Let's be real. It's half the offense. So you got to talk about a lot more than just X's and O's. You know, it's it. Uh, y- y- if you have a question and you need an answer to it, 
you can find the answer, you know, on that clinic. You can get it. All right. There's somebody that's watching it or somebody that's actually presenting, okay, that'll have the answer to your question that you'll have. You right? That and so we started this thing and we didn't expect it to get this big. We really didn't. We figured we just have a group of guys start to talk. And so then when we started, we said, okay, all right, Saturday will be the clinic. And then Friday night, what we used to do, I don't know if you were involved in that or not, but we were just to get together the guys that were speaking, and we go sit in the auditorium or the, the, the convention, the, the hall, the meeting room, okay? And we would talk about problems that we had. And the rest of the guys would sit in the audience and just listen to us. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm having a problem with this real free safety blitz. So I'm having a problem when they bring the weak corner, you know, and a Mike linebacker. How do you handle this, you know? Stuff like that. And so, you know, we tried to decipher and try to figure it all out, okay? And then we said, okay, let's put the college coaches on Friday night. Well, that's when we went out and we got four college guys to speak on Friday night. And then the rest of the program spoke on Saturday, okay? And then it kind of just – it just had grown. Last year I had 18 speakers, 19 speakers. Now, this coming here, my plan is, Jonathan, you can tell me what you think now we're talking about it is the, the pro guys speak on Thursday night. Now, every once in a while, I have to make an adjustment. Like the guy from Kansas State, his brother's graduating from Harvard Law School. You know what I mean? So he couldn't speak. So I said, okay, I'll take Gary. I'll move you along mm-hmm. about it. Okay? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, I'm thinking Thursday night, okay, is the pro guys, like we normally do. Okay? But on Friday, we normally start at 4 o'clock. Okay, with the, the college guys and whoever's left over from the program. Okay, I'm thinking Saturday, Friday from eight o'clock in the morning until four is to get four or five defensive line coaches. So now you've heard the pro line coaches, and then you get the pro defensive line coaches. Okay, that next day until four o'clock, right? And then the rest of the, then you start again with the offensive line coaches, right? And then then Saturday, and then I always try to get, you know, like I, I think the guys that pro football focus, some guys don't like that, but I like those guys, okay? Because they have a different way to see the game. Mm-hmm. They have a completely different way to look at the game that makes you think, you know? I think it'd be worth it. I mean, you know, what, what, how, so, many coaches, uh, how many coaches – uh they, they kind of have been on the defensive side and then they come over and they're offensive coach or vice versa. I, I think understanding one side of it and then being able to, you know, weigh into what I've done, you know, or what uh, I was taught to do. Now I'm able to take that piece and then try to figure out, okay, so how, how can I take knowing that if I'm in this stance on defense, how can I beat it as an offensive player? I think that's what, what uh, great coaches, people – uh, would be able to take from it, seeing the defensive guys come over to explain what they have to say and then come back to the offense. Well, there's some years I had Rex Ryan come one year, okay, and talk. I had worked with Rex at Cincinnati, okay. I had uh, uh, Jim Schwartz talk about defense, okay. So I, I bring in a defensive coach every once in a while. Just what do you look at? What are you looking at the front five? What are you looking at? What are they? What are you looking out of when you take the film off? What do you, how are you studying us? Okay. The guys up front. Okay. What yeah. is that? And I work with Mike Waffle 
I think I think Jonathan knows Mike. Okay, yeah. from being from you know he's on a uh, he's on the on the West Coast. Okay, but he's an East Coast guy, but he's on the West Coast. He uh, I think he's one of the better defensive line coaches I've ever been around. You know what I mean? So I had him, you know, talk last year. Wiles, one of the things one of the things that I thought was awesome, I worked for Chris Jones up in Edmonton uh, when they used to be the Eskimos. Now they're the Elks up in the CFL. Jonesy would have us one week, maybe a bye week, when we're practicing. He would have the offensive staff scout the defense, and the defensive staff would scout and game plan the offense. And there were so many things we would learn, like – all of a sudden, the left tackle had a tell in his stance or the defensive end, all of a sudden, his alignment. And we kind of told the secrets of what, how we would scout each other. Hey, the back, the, the running back's depth on this is different. And the defense knew it so that they knew what type of plays were coming. So I think it's unique to hear a defensive coach's perspective. You may not get everything that you want, but man, just to look at, uh, life on the other lens, looking at across the field, I think is an awesome way to grow coaches and help educate coaches at all levels. Sam Weiss, God rest his soul. Sam did that back in, in the 80s when McNally and Coslett, Jimmy Anderson, you know, all those guys were on that, right? And, and Dick LeBeau was a defensive coordinator, right? And in the offseason, right? In the offseason, they would do full game plans. It was a full game plan with all the cutups, okay? Mm-hmm. Right? Offense and defense, and then you get up there and you would present the game plan to the defense, and they would get up and they present the defense. This is way back in the eighties, and just like you're saying, a tremendous amount of wealth of information. You know what I mean? And then when we went to the Jets, right, we did that with Pete Carroll as a defensive coordinator. We had Pete Carroll, Monty Kiffin, Greg Robinson, the folks Fazio, okay, Eddie Donatello, okay, and then on, on offense it was Larry Bechtel, myself, Joe Daniels. Chip Myers, Coslett, okay, we put together full game plans against each other. And we'd sit down and install a game plan. And you'd be surprised exactly what you're saying. The information that you come up with is amazing. Right? It really helps you help your players. It's to help the players. That's it. And I the, the big thing that I think you've always done everywhere you've been is empowering the players. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to to – to run an offensive system. And, uh, you know, I find out about teaching. I don't know if you guys can see this. You see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is a learning pyramid. Okay. And, right, you can kick a couple of shots of that because you're recording it. Okay. And then you can blow it up and do whatever you need with it. Okay. But the learning pyramid, and then it explains, it explains the whole thing. Okay. Passive teaching methods, all right? So if you stand up and lecture, if you stand up and lecture, they're going to remember 5% of that. So if you stand up in front of a room and you start lecturing and drawing shit on the board, they're going to remember 5% five, 5 of that, okay? All right? If you are reading, you're having them read what's in those playbooks and shit, that's 10%. That's as much as you're going to get out of it, 10%, okay? Right? If you go audio-visual, you put the film up and it'll do all that stuff, or you have the overheads, which nobody has anymore, but document cameras and shit, okay? All right? So that's 20%, okay? If you, what's this, demonstrations, that's 
Okay, that's all passive teaching methods. Okay, now if you want participation teaching methods, okay, and you have them. Okay, let me hang on here, one guy. There we go. So I can see it. Okay. Group discussion. You throw it on the table. They discuss it. They figure it out. 50%. Mm-hmm. Do remember 50% of that. Okay. Practice by doing. So when you take them out and you put them for a walkthrough or you put them on the board and you let them install it, okay? Okay, you let them present it to each other, okay? 75% better retainage, okay? And then if they teach each other, like if Joe Thomas is teaching the backup left tackle, okay, or if Joe Batonio is teaching the right guard something, okay? Right, 90%. 90%. That, that, so your teaching methods, okay, have to, you know, you have to change the way you're doing it. You gotta. You know what I mean? People don't think how you set up your meeting room, how you set up your platform, right, is a is a big, big plus on how, you know, at least I think it is, okay? And, you know, I... I speak at some of the Glazer clinics, right? I've been doing it since 1976, all right? I talk about unconscious competence. You and me have talked about this. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the object of learning a new skill. How do you teach somebody to learn a new skill, okay? There's four stages of learning on the planet. Everybody on the planet learns the same way. And there's four stages to it. And so when I first get them, they're unconscious and they're incompetent. They don't know that they don't know and it's not their fault. Right? Because they haven't been exposed to it. Okay? It's not their fault. So when I first go in, that's where I'm sitting in the room. That's what I'm thinking right there. My room. Now, how am I going to get these guys better? Well, I need to look at the video and I need to say, okay, this is his strengths. This is his weaknesses. Now, how am I going to get his weaknesses up to his strengths? And we play that game. You, you've done that. You're a hell of a football coach. You've done that with your players. Okay, so now, okay, you're going to introduce them to this technique, okay, or to this skill that you're trying to teach them, okay? So now you're taking them from unconscious incompetent to conscious incompetent. They're conscious now this stuff exists, but they still can't do it. Okay, so now you've got them from stage one to stage two. Now, just because you've done that doesn't mean they're going to stay in stage two. When they leave you, right, good chance they're going back to stage one. Mm -hmm. And you're going to do it all over again, okay? So now you get them in stage two. Let's say you've got enough times you're in stage two. Now you're getting to stage three. Stage three is conscious competence. They're conscious that it exists, and they're confident that they can do it, but they still have to think about it. You know, where does my right foot go? Where does my left hand go? Where do my eyes go? What's the line go? I'm thinking about what I need to do, okay? Right? You don't want them thinking, okay? But at stage three, how do you get them to stage three? Reps. Reps. I read a book one time, 33 perfect reps. 
it's the Jonathan, I believe it's the complexity of the task that you ask the kid to do. If I say, Jonathan, you know, go open that door and it takes you 33 times to open the door, then we got a little bit of a problem. Okay. <laughs> there you go. We do have a little bit of a problem there. Okay. So, you know, so it's the complexity of the task that you're asking the player to do. So how fast is he going to learn it? Okay. I read that book with a guy from Harvard, like 10,000 man hours to get into the subconscious. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure it's that much. I'm, you know, in our profession, probably 3,000 or 5,000, somewhere in that reps. Okay. That they'll just, they'll just be able to do it. You know? So now you get them in stage three. Now you get them from stage three to stage four. Stage four is unconscious competence. What is unconscious competence? You got to kind of, okay, all you guys, sometime in the course of the day today, drove a car. You never thought about driving the car. You got in the car, right? You put your seatbelt on, you put the key in ignition, you started up, and you drove wherever you needed to drive to. You might have thought about where you had to go, but you never thought once about driving that car. Okay? You got out of the car and you shut the door. You didn't think about it. You automatically locked it. Okay? You walked into a room and you turned the light switch on. You didn't think about it. You did it. Okay? You're sitting there and you're breathing. That's unconscious competence. You're not thinking about it. You're just breathing. Okay? Right? That's stage four. You got to get them to that level. Okay? Do they all get to that level? No. Does it mean they can't play? No. Okay, but where do they play? Your quarterback, you want that guy in stage four. Your defensive signal caller, you want that guy. Your corners, you probably want those guys in stage four. Okay, defensive linemen, they could be in stage one. They don't fucking make (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was going to say, Wiles. Hey, that that is a great transition because you and I are coaching in spring football. All these guys are fighting and scratching and clawing I coached Gerald in 2.0 XFL. He was an all-league guard for us in Tampa with Tressman. And I thought Gerald was one of the leaders with our group in Tampa. Uh, He had just come from the Redskins previously, played at Nebraska, had a great career, and was just an older guy that was, uh, was able to play and also help some of the younger guys along. And spring football right now, I think 50 players are actively in the NFL under contract that had been in the XFL this past year. You and I know how long it takes to develop offensive linemen. And these leagues are great for O-linemen to get reps because you can't simulate that in an OTA. You can't simulate that in the offseason. They need to go play, and they're playing 10 to 12 games. And you're seeing, hopefully, elevation of the position on offensive line because all these guys are getting to play now and they're getting more opportunity in games. I tell my guys, Jonathan, if you're standing next to me, you ain't getting any better. Right? You got to go out there, right, and make your mistakes. You got to go out there and play. Okay? And then what I think is also critical, Jonathan, is I think you need to see yourself play. You know, I always say short steps are better than long steps and all that stuff. And here's a kid. He thinks he's taking a short step. And then all of a sudden, you show him the video. Oh, hey, now, hey, he's striding. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? And, no, I'm serious. Right? The, the player has to see himself play, okay, to see where the mistakes are. You know, so in, in, all, the, in all the NFL teams that I've been with, okay, 
I always had a plan for the guys that were the second line guys. Like I always had none of my ones ever took first, you know, first round pick. I mean, first snaps. You know what I'm saying? Our number ones didn't go against number one defense. Okay. It may have happened in the scrimmage once in a while, but your second line goes against the defense's first group. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those guys. But how do you get those guys better? Well, as a as a position coach, you know, I don't have enough time to spend getting the first guys ready and then spend the same amount of time showing the second guys the video. Okay, so my assistant has to do that. He has to take that bunch of guys and show them what they did against the defense and make the corrections so they can see themselves play. Okay, that's how they're going to get better. That's how. You know, I guys, I, Andrew Wiley is a great example. Andrew Wiley came into my office one day, and he, 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 he says, Coach, how am I going to make this team? I said, oh, Andrew, right, when you go against the defense, you have to win. You have to win. Okay, when you go one-on-ones against the defensive first group, guys, you're going to win. You're going to get noticed, okay? So when I'm sitting in that personnel meeting and Greg Williams is saying, hey, Wiles, who's 63? He's kicking a shit out of us. Okay, well, that's Andrew Wiley. You know, you know what I mean? And, and, and so I say, Andrew, you need to watch yourself play, right? And then you need to right, win against the defensive front, the, the best guys on defense. You're going to beat those guys if you want to have a chance of making a team. Okay? That, well, that is, that is totally it. The only proof, I just saw this quote earlier, the only proof of ability is performance. I thought that was a great, like, you you can do it in practice. Maybe you might do it once. Okay, don't don't rest on your laurels once you just do it. Like, you are who you put on film. And if you're going to be able to get noticed, I was talking to a college kid. I was texting with a college kid last week that was frustrated with his playing time during camp right now. And I was like, you need to get noticed. And if you just keep taking, not getting reps, then they're going to think you're fine with it. So you got to do something. You got to show your ability based on your performance. It's not just going to be based on, you know, the, well, we hope he'll get it figured out. And he has the dreaded P, you know, the dreaded potential. Look, you got to go take that thing and show him. You know, the only thing that matters in this game, okay, is production. How productive you are as a player, right? It doesn't have to be pretty. It really doesn't. It does not have to be pretty. But as the young coaches, they get all this beautiful cut-ups and, and they get the book and it's going to look like this and you're going to do this, okay? And if it doesn't look like that, they cut the guy. You know how many guys I got from young line coaches cutting guys that can play? It's based on production. Did he block his guy? Did his guy not make the play? I have a thing that I do. You probably do the same thing, Jonathan. When the ball's released, when it just releases the quarterback's hands, I stop it. I say, where's your guy? Where is your guy? I don't care if you're blocking him with your ass. Where is your guy? What effort, okay, what have you done, right, to keep that guy off of that guy? What have you done? Same thing in a run game. The point in time where the running back got to make his cut, stop the film. 
Is there a hole there? Where's he going with the ball? Where's your guy in relationship to the running back? Well, your guy. Forget about technique. Now, we teach all the technique we want, okay? But when it comes time, right, and the ball is snapped, right, don't let that guy hit that guy. Period. Done. Okay, how you do it? Don't let that guy hit that guy. Now, we'll teach the first step, the second step, the the hands, the eyes. You know, we're going to teach you all that stuff, okay? You know, sometimes you teach you all that stuff and you put the film on and say, what the f- is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Right. That, that, that happened. But that, that's true. And what happens, and here's another thing about young coaches. And that that I'm not a young coach, obviously. Okay. Young coaches come in and they try to impress the new players, the rookie players, the first, second year players on how much knowledge they have of the game. They really do. They try to impress that kid about what I know about the game that I'm going to give to you, okay? And he is going to f*** that kid up, okay? Because it's what you don't tell them is just as important as what you do tell them. They don't need to know it all at that point in time. All you want them to do is to get this much better. That's it. That's all. That day, I want them to get in seven days, they'll be that much better. Okay, right. and if I'm trying to give them seven days worth of that, I'm going to screw that. That kid is not going to want to take a step. All right. So what you don't tell them is just as important as what you do tell them. Okay. And the young guys, they haven't figured that out yet. They come in and they get up there and they think about it. <laughs> Miles, what what what's the saying? You're on a need to know basis, and the O line, they got enough going on. That you need to handle the A, the B, and the C gaps. They don't need to know what's happening. Now, there are clues that can help you across the board, but stay in your lane. Focus on what's going to help your players. I think that's a great advice for those guys being able to play to the best of their ability. Well, yeah. working with all those young guys, uh, me and Jaime, we work uh, our five is one. When you have the eighth grader, that you're truly just – you just need to tell them, all right, here's your first step. Let's work on that. And then you have coming in the guy that's figuring out what college he's going to, and now you're telling him, okay, hand placement, let's figure out what can we read off this next move, all those th- – you can't feed that to the eighth grader. You're going to overload them. And, you know, I, I, I'd say probably the start when we were working together, I, I think I overloaded a couple of those kids, and I see it in their eyes. And I'm talking about they'd be looking at me just pale face. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. If, if I could break it down finer than the first step, I would. I can't. Right? The first step. So I think, and Jonathan, you can correct me on this, okay? I think the number one thing in offensive line play is the angle of departure from the line of scrimmage. How you're leaving the line of scrimmage, okay, in the run or the pass game, is the number one thing. Because if you weave at the wrong angle, okay, you're always on the edge of the path. You guys playing on the edge of the you know, Why did that happen? Because somewhere, okay, you left the line of scrimmage at the wrong angle. You did something leaving the line of scrimmage to cause this to happen. You know, I was very fortunate. I got in, in my career, I got to be with, you know, Howard Mudd and Jim Hannafin. Joe Bugle offered me two jobs and Jimmy McNally. 
You know what I mean? I got to bet a, a lot of guys, okay, that helped me in my career, okay? But I always learned, and, and every one of those guys had the same thing. How we're leaving the line of scrimmage, okay, with the first, second, third steps, okay, that is critical. Absolutely critical. Now, angle, of departure, always, angle of departure right. is critical. Knowing where your quarterback set up in protection, knowing where your running back aiming point is, I mean, those things are going to give guys the best opportunity to be successful. If they know what's happening around them, they got a chance. But if they just fire off blindly and they're taking off on the runway and they don't have the right trajectory, forget it. Wiles, it doesn't matter how athletic they are. And most of the guys that we're dealing with, they, I mean, the athletic, how athletic these guys are, it's really impressive. But the guys that maybe don't quite have, the foot speed or the mobility or flexibility, they got to use every trick in the book. So they got to jump the cadence and they got to know where they need to get themselves to get the job done. You know, Joe Thomas, he sent me a thing. He's got a number of different uh, training camps or training clinics or whatever he's, he's working with in the state of Wisconsin. So he asked a number of us, and he may have asked you, okay, to put together a short little video Okay, and so one of the things I talked about offensive linemen, right, what I think is important, that you're, you're trying to develop yourself to be an offensive lineman, you know, and how do you do that? I think the core strength of your body is the number one thing. The core strength of your body, because that's going to help you recover. That's going to get you out of bad situations. And you're going to say, I'm not going to get in a bad situation. Oh, yes, you are. Okay, you're going to get into a Right, and you're going to get yourself out of it. Well, of course, front of your body does that. Okay, now your lower body leg stretch. You have to take that guy, run a pass, you know, from, you know, inside, outside, back from point A to point B against this ball. All that stuff. That's lower body leg strength. That's number two. Okay, and your foot quickness. Okay, is going to help you stay on those guys because they're just not going to stay there. They're going to be running to the football. Okay. You got to stay on those guys. They may be spinning. They may be slaying, angling. They duke it. They shuck it. They run down the line of scrimmage. Okay. So, those three things, if you're going to develop yourself as an offensive lineman, the core strength of your body, the lower body leg strength, and your foot quickness, that's the first level. But they don't stand. They do all those curls and bench presses that may get you a date, but you ain't going to block anybody. Okay. What they don't understand, I think, Jonathan, sometimes is, is your arms and your hands just connect yourself to the block. That's all it's doing. Your arms and hands are connecting yourself to the block, okay? And then the core strength, your leg strength, and your foot quickness takes over. That's what makes the block, okay? But your arms and your hands just connect yourself to it. The rest of your stuff is... It's, you're not going to block them with your arms in your hand. You're going to block them with your core strength, your body, your ass, and your legs. Hey, Wiles, you made a point that I, I want to follow up on. You said the bench press and the curls will get will get the dates maybe. But if you fly your own jet, you'll have plenty of dates, as you, <laughs> as you explained to us earlier, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot, is that a lot easier? Down. Is that a lot easier than uh, than doing the lifting that these guys are doing? You have a good core and I, a pilot's license. You're good the rest of your life. I got forever. I got a, I got a little collection of exotic cars 
You know, I got an Aston Martin. I got three Maseratis. I got a Porsche. Okay. I got a Citation. Okay. You'd be surprised how much better looking I am. Okay. When I'm driving that Gran Turismo. Okay. Or that Aston Martin DB11. Okay. As opposed to when I'm driving a SUV Ford Edge. <laughs> Amazing. It's, it's amazing. amazing. Oh, man. Amazing. I love it. Uh, this was funny the other day. The other day, I pull up to the light. So the local town cop cars, he, he pulls up alongside of me, and I got the DB11. And he rolls down the passenger window, and he looks at me, and he goes, pretty quick? I said, don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah, you don't even <laughs> want to think about it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, that, that, you know, but I, I think as you as you move to profession as a young coach, right? I, I think you need you need to you 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 need to get out there. You need to go visit. You need to see it. You need to hear them teach it. Okay, you need to get to the clinics. And if you don't understand it, you gotta go ask questions. People are afraid. And in classrooms, you've been in classrooms. I know Jonathan. Okay, where the players don't want to say anything because they're afraid they're not going to. It's not they're not going to look smart in front of the other guys. You got to teach them that they have to be transparent. You know, even at my age, I'm transparent. I don't know something. I'm gonna think, fuck, I don't know. It. Okay, I'm not a bad man. You know, it's impossible. No worry, I don't know. Well, maybe you should know that. Maybe I should, but I don't know it. Okay, you know, Howard Mudd taught me that. You know, he was I, yeah. really wonderful with me. You know, and, and that's why I really and I just want to thank you for you opening your meeting room, your office to me. Like when I came up and visited you, I think when you were in in Oakland and we sat and visited for a while and it was incredible. We visited in Cleveland and you and I have always been in communication. And I want to thank you as a younger coach, as I don't have much hair and I'm pushing close to 50 here, but someone that I've learned from you, Bob, about how to coach the game. And it's a lot more than X's and O's. And it's about building relationships and finding what makes your players comfortable to go out and get the job done. So, Waz, let me thank you on behalf of I don't know how many thousands of coaches you've helped along the way, not only just with the clinic, but your just availability. So I appreciate it as a mentor and thank you for your guidance throughout my career. I appreciate you. I appreciate the kind words. You know, one thing I, I truly believe in, and for the young guys that are listening to this out there, the chemistry that you create in your meeting room is more important than any of the X's and O's that you're going to draw on the board. It really is. That chemistry that you create between you and your players, because players don't care, right, how much you know. Players care how much you care about them. You know what I mean? And you have to have some tools at your at your fingertips. Like I know when you came up to Cleveland, if there's a birthday in my meeting room, there's going to be a cake in there. If we're in there and the players on on campus, there's going to be a cake in there with his name and number on. It. You know what I mean? Their wives are going to get flowers for the anniversary from it. You know what I mean? That's going to happen. But those dumb fucks are going to forget their anniversary. Okay, so they. You know, I mean, but that's you you do that when they bring your kids to practice on Saturdays. I got toys for the kids to play with in my meeting room. Okay, you 
that you create that atmosphere. Your meeting room, I, I, I probably go a little too far with it, okay? And, and there's a can I talk about the meeting room for a little bit, Jonathan? We, we yeah, go ahead. We can we can kind of finish it up talking about the meeting room because I think no, it's well, important. Rico, I'll stay forever. It doesn't matter to me. I, mean, <laughs> I, I know you will, me. but no, yeah, but no. You can, you, can cut, you, you can cut it. You can cut it all up any which way you want it. You know? Yes, sir. You, you can make five shows on it. <laughs> <laughs> we may. This is this. We're now into volume five right now. <laughs> no, I believe. Right. If you take a new job and you go to a new place, okay, when your players come into the meeting room, I want my players to say, wow, this is different. I want them to say, wow. Okay. I want them, when I put together the playbook in my offensive line manual and they get it, they go, holy shit, there's a lot of work into this. This guy does his shit. This guy does his stuff. Okay. I want them to say, wow. So when they first walk in, okay, it's not set up in classroom style. It's set up conference style. It, it's set up, okay. I don't know how to do this. I wish I could show you the pictures, okay. It, it's set up where they can all see each other. Mm -hmm. Because classroom style, if that kid in the back makes a mistake, right, those guys in the front of the room, they, they don't turn around and look at them. They don't do that. Okay, so I got it set up, right? So everybody sees everybody else. You can't fucking hide. Okay, that's the first thing you're going to see. They're going to see the big man chairs, but they're the one I'm sitting in, right? They all get the big man chairs, okay? They, when you first walk in the door, you open the door, you see the family board. And on the family board, okay, I want you to bring in the people that are most important in your life. Those people, ultimately you're playing for okay that person it could be a dog i don't care you know and all we're doing as the organization is giving you the opportunity right to do that okay to play for those people i want you to see that every day you walk in the room okay right and then across on the other wall so say i'm coming to the door on the right hand side is the family door and then across on the other side of the room I got another board, okay? It says, in the beginning, I want you to bring in pitches, okay, of when you played Pop Warner football, when you played junior high school football, when you played high school football. I want you to bring in those pitches because you played, you weren't getting paid, it was fun to play, okay, you were having a good time with it, okay? Right? I, I want you to see that, where you came from, in the beginning. I want you to remember that. Okay, and then somebody tells you, "Hey, you know you're pretty good. You know, we're going to give you a, a, a scholarship to go to college." Okay, and you go to college and you play. And some of you guys didn't get scholarships. Or some of you guys walked on and made the team. Those guys impressed me more than the guys that got scholarships. Okay, and then somebody says, "Hey, we're going to draft you." Right, and then you get one of these seats, or you sign, you know, an undrafted free agent contract, and you get a seat. Okay, I don't care how you got the C, right? But it's not my job that you keep the C. It's your job you keep the C, okay? So the, the room has a, uh, a, a rhythm to it, uh, uh, you know, and, and then the gorillas, you've all heard me talk about the girls, the best offensive linemen. I got a whole cut up on it in, 
You know what I mean? So I have these trees in the room, okay? And I have gorillas. Gorillas. Yeah, they're gorillas. Okay? I have gorillas. They're, they're all over the place. When I was at the Browns, I had to have, you know, through the whole building, there must have been 50 or 60 gorillas all over. <laughs> okay? You know, and I have them on top of trees in my meeting room. Okay, so there's a theme behind it. Okay, so when they walk in, they see that. And then on, a, on the right-hand side, okay, I have all the pictures of the guys that were in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that were offensive linemen for the Cleveland Browns. I think you saw my room up there, mm-hmm. okay? Okay, and then pictures half that size of all the all pro guys that are up there. And then I have all my sayings, you know, learn before you compete, teach them, don't tell them. The problem with knowing everything is can't learn anything you know. I have all that stuff stuck in between here. They see that every day. Those guys set the bar, guys. Those guys set the bar. Okay. You gotta get they set the bar. You gotta reach that bar. And then when they leave the room, okay, across the top of the doorway, it says through this door walk big tough guys who love football. I want them to see that. So the whole room set up. Okay, it's got a refrigerator, it's got a microwave oven in it, it's got road grader awards, it's got a bookshelf that has toys for the kids. Their favorite snacks are in that bookshelf. Okay, but they got tape, pre-tape. They got any of the aspirin and Tylenol and stuff that they take to go to practice. And you know, I mean it's all everything's in there. They got there's all kind of Gatorade and water and stuff. And, you know, on Wednesdays, even though Jimmy Hassel feeds 210 people three times a day. On Wednesdays, we're going to have pizza. On Thursdays, we're going to have fried rice. Fried rice Thursday, right? Pizza on Wednesdays. After practice. Okay? And, I, and how, how do they get the pizzas? Well, for every twist they pick up, I got to buy a pizza. One time I owe them 60 <laughs> fucking pizzas. Oh, shit. I love but it. You, you create that atmosphere with them. You create that in your meeting room. That chemistry you have with them. And and, and this brings tears to my eyes. When I got injured, I dislocated my right I broke my right leg. I tore all the tendons off my left knee. There was no tendons on my left knee. Okay? And, and practice. Okay? I go and I get surgery one day on one leg and the next day they did the surgery on the other knee. Okay, well that next Friday the next day, we're supposed to have our Christmas gift exchange. And that's another thing. In the meeting room, Halloween, it's fucking decorated. We got candy. It's every Friday. It's all over. It's right. Right? Then Thanksgiving, we do the same thing. We decorate the whole room. Oh, we have cornbread. We have pumpkin pie. We have the whole ball of wax. Okay? Then Christmas, they went out and they got a real Christmas tree that's like 10 or 12 feet high. They decorated the whole thing. They decorated the whole room. And we have like a Kris Kringle. You might want to think of doing this someday. Okay. And the kids, they pick a dollar number. The NFL is a little higher than other places. But it was like $1,000. So you bought a gift. It can't be less than $1,000. And then you wrap it up and you put it under the tree. Okay. And then they list the by seniority, okay, from highest to lowest, the names of the guys in the room. Okay. And then the first guy goes and gets a gift. He unwraps it. Then the second guy goes and gets a gift. He unwraps it. If you don't like it, he takes the first guy's gift. And it keeps <laughs> on going. I get to pick it a whole deal. Well, we're, we're supposed to have this on that Friday, you know, the, the day after I got hurt. 
And so they came into the hospital that night, you know, after the operation, and they were all in there, right? And, and they said, guys, have that tomorrow. No, we're not doing it. We're going to wait for you. We're not doing this. The next Friday, the next Friday, they took everything in that meeting room and they brought it to the hospital. And they got a meeting room in the hospital and they set it all up, right? And then they come and got me and they wheeled me down there, okay? And they had it with me there. Like I was in the old meeting room back at, at the complex. So that, that's when you know that you got them, that you have, they talk like you, they act like you, they do the things that you do, they, 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 you know you've got them. They will do whatever you want them to do. That's they, awesome. That, that's how I try to set up the rooms. Okay, that that's, you know, what I mean, the. Uh, yeah, let me read you something quickly here, if I can find it. Okay, and this is a kid. Uh, this is a kid. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Okay. This is a kid. Uh, it says he played left tackle for me last year, and he wasn't a tackle. Just, I wanted to say, I just got this last week. I wanted to say thank you, Coach, for loving me hard and providing me with guidance throughout the past season with Vegas. I poured my all into playing left tackle. For you, I am a smart and hard working player, but with your guidance, I felt I was able to do some pretty amazing shit that I was proud of myself about. Okay, proud of about myself. Okay. I love football and has been my groove through everything, just like you, coach. I just recently lost my dad. Now I'm 28 with neither of my parents, and I just feel torn and lost, waiting for someone to call me and tell me but they want me on their team in the XFL. I know I can play very aggressive and I know what I'm capable of and I'm, and I'm not done yet. God has taken so many things away from me this year. And I think he's teaching me a lesson, but I will stand up tall coach and continue to knock down any barrier that is presented to me. I have the mug, I have the shirt and I have the core value poster you signed for me. I will never forget when you got sick and had to leave for your heart, I felt you. I felt for you, and it almost was like losing my mom all over again. And just know I love you, Coach, and I thank you for everything. That's it, and that that kid we caught, and he writes me that letter last week. You know, so when you're creating that in that room with those guys. That goes that goes a lot farther than running the fucking inside zone point. <laughs> and with that being said, Wiles, that is exactly why we love coaching this game because yes. it's the connection with the players, and it's the it relationships is. you build, and it's the impact that this game has on all of our lives. And uh, it's it's really cool to to see how much you've affected the game, how you've affected individual players. And it's neat to be able to share this with the audience. Gerald played for me very briefly. 
And now we work with kids and we try to continue to pass those things down, pass them along to them. And it's not just always the footwork, the hand placement, the body position. It's about being accountable to each other. And it's about working to achieve your goals. And every single time when you walk into that room with those players, whether it's the meeting room or whether you're training them or it's out of practice, you just want to give them everything that is going to help them be successful. And you want to pour it into them any way possible. Gerald, you got any kind of final thoughts just on your experience in the game and kind of what Coach Wiley's had to say or anything else there? It's one second, Josh. What the game means to you, you try to put that down on paper, what the game means to you. I might have sent you this. I'm not sure I did or I didn't. If you want, I'll send it to you. The game. The game provides an opportunity for us and our children. It is the escape from the daily grind and the opportunity to be with future generations, to enjoy life in many diverse ways. The game teaches us lessons that are hard to learn in all the places. The game is beautiful and purposeful. It can bring us joy, rally us, and inspire us. The game drives us to pull together. The game helps us to realize the playing field is level no matter what. The game shows us hard work pays off. The game teaches us how to power through adversity, overcome fear, and rise above chaos. The game also links us generations, makes us laugh, cry, scream, curse, and celebrate. It is a privilege, not a right, to be involved in the game at any level. Enjoy the game, Bob Wiley. You know what I mean? That's up in my meeting room. That's up in my office. That's, you know, laminated, you know, in my wallet. That's that. That stays with me. That's what I believe. You know, that over putting that together over I don't know how many years. I think this is my this is my fifty second year coaching. You know, so it's you know, I appreciate you having me. I I love talking football with you, Jonathan. I think you're a, a, a wonderful teacher of the game. I think you're a wonder you're a better person than you are a football coach. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, people don't realize that how you touch other people in different ways. Okay, how he affected you as a player, how he affected you as a person. Okay, that that means so much to us as coaches. Okay, and and, and some of us, and no disrespect, you know, we weren't former players that somebody said, okay, you know, you get done playing, I want to give you a job. We had to come up the hard way, you know, you know, be GAs, be youth football coaches, come, you know, go to the clinics, you know, go visit every place we can, get your ass fired, get hired again, stop, move around again, you know, but we still did it, okay? And we would do it all over again, okay? Because of what the game means to us, okay? And, you know, Earl Bruce told me one time, I'll never hire anybody that has a mind to field. Hmm. I'll never hire anybody that has a mind. He felt that coming up, like Paul Brown, coming up through it, you miss something when you don't do that. There's something that you miss that when you don't do that. You know, you you should you should take the time and, and sit down and, and read the book about Paul Brown. He was the head coach at Maslin High School. For every baby boy born in Masson, Ohio, they put a baby, a football in a baby's crib. They still do that today. 
Okay. Well, Maslin played Kent State and beat Kent State. Okay. Two weeks later, they were supposed to play Akron, and Akron canceled. They canceled. <laughs> of course, they would. I would. Hmm. So what, you know, so that's just a high school. Wow. You know, and and, and it's really when you, you want to go see a Maslin High School Camp McKinley High School football game. They have a 150-piece marching band. They got a live Bengal Tiger as a mascot. They score touchdowns and they shoot off fireworks. Boom, 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 bang, bang. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. You know, but, oh, but I I appreciate you, Jonathan. You know what I mean? And everything that you've done for the sport, everything done for the players, okay? And you continue to work five is one, okay? You, oh, it, it is by far... When you get five guys to play with one heartbeat, is the toughest thing to do. Everybody thinks that's easy. You know, I, I bust the quarterback coach's balls a lot. So what the fuck, guys? You, you only grade half the game, right? We, if we run the ball 40 times, what are you going to grade them? You turn around and hands the ball off. Wow. <laughs> right. You know what we got to do, right? You know how many line calls we have to make? You know where our eyes have to go? And here's another thing I think you will agree with me. We could talk forever. We don't coach them enough when the ball is dead. We don't. Very seldom do I hear people coaching them when the ball is dead. What happens from the time the ball dies till it's snapped again? That point in time is just as important mm-hmm. as when the ball is snapped and you're going to go play. We don't spend enough time on that. That's another clinic later on. <laughs> Gerald, you got anything else to that you wanted to ask Bob? Well, Bob, uh, anything to wrap up? I, I would say to wrap it up, just the the stories, the feelings, all the emotions. It 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 kind of makes me. Uh, I was sitting over here. I was like, wow. I love when I'm able to to be in the presence of other people that love this sport and understand what it means really to be a part of it because. There's just a lot of people out there that like it, right? There's a lot of people out there that like seeing big hits. They don't really understand the brotherhood and the all the care and the love that you have because, I mean, you can fake a lot of things out, you know, on a football field in a coach's room, but you can't fake the relationships you build, the kind of man that you are, and what you're trying to do for them. And uh, I, I can see in Coach, he, he's definitely somebody that, uh, if you had a chance to be in the, the meeting room with or if you had a chance to um, to have him as a mentor, you're blessed. And uh, God sent you the right kind of guy to be in there. Yeah. Yeah, this is. My buddy Joe. One of the best in the world right there. That's <laughs> God bless. Yeah, I, we're, we're definitely going to have to have another time with uh, with Coach on because we just got to talk about him and Joe. That, that is that's a different kind of different kind of story altogether, right there. Well, the, uh, Bob, you've been you've been around some of the best, and it's awesome to have some insight and uh, you know to be on uh, on the podcast. We're honored, appreciate to have you on. You had me on when we talked a little bit with uh, um, kind of the. Keith. Keith, Keith, uh, yeah. Keith Grabowski doing the coaching coordinator stuff. We got into the Mushroom Society and how the O-line looks at things a little bit different. Um, but there's so many people that uh, love the game 
And when you coach really almost half the offense on the field, it's uh, there's so many things that interwork with the offensive line. And and just to wrap up, we want to thank all of our sponsors. Uh, again, Fix Sports, Zoa Energy, Hop and Sting Brewery, Vaqueros Texas Barbecue, uh, Ray Crowther and Tip of the Spear for their blast shields and and uh, and uh, Lineman Performance Academy, LPA, that sent us a bunch of new gear that we're training guys, Bob. And uh, I know you're very familiar with Crowther and Tip of the Spear and what they're doing. And there's some some incredible resources out there. And we're just trying to help kids, help players, help parents and coaches uh, get the best that, that they can out of this game because there's no greater game than the game of football. And there's no better position than the offensive line. So, Wiles, we appreciate having you on. Um, thanks so much for the time. And uh, I have a feeling like we may have to do a couple more versions of this to get more. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> God bless you guys. Thank you very much.